Greetings, ladies and gents, and welcome to this daily science fiction extravaganza, commonly known as Tales, Tales from Outer from space. Out, space. Out, space. Taken from the subreddit HFY, all the relevant links will be down below. And, as always, I hope that you enjoy. And if you do, please consider supporting the channel. On to the science fiction. Story number one, Lonely Universe, written by UXNEX. It wasn't long before humanity realized that they were the first to reach the stars. Their first steps involved combustibles and solid fuels to force their expeditions into space. In a short century, they went from barely flying in a wooden death trap to landing on their local satellite, Luna. They listened intently to the skies for signs of others, and they started looking at the stars. Even as beautiful as Earth was, they were stuck there. They could only send out probes, exploratory robots, but there is only so much distance you can cover with subluminal speeds. They were forced to gaze in wonder at the stars with the ever-increasing capabilities, trying to answer the age-old question, Are we alone? Humanity learned of the fundamental particles of space and matter, and then subsequently time. Imagine the excitement at the discovery of the time quanta and all that came with it. The galaxy was suddenly much smaller. The graviton and the quantula led to travel through stabilized wormholes, and so humanity took the first steps towards the rest of the universe. Still quiet and silent to all their eyes and ears, static void of digital snow. The first planets they visited were the so-called Goldilocks planets in Galice 581, Kepler 438, and Kepler 62, Gantt 6. But they only found the basic forms of life. Algae, plant, maybe some crustaceans, maybe simple multicellular life, protofish, simple insects. Their disappointment was melancholic and immense. But at least the creatures tasted good with some salt. Even still, they spread out from the small sector of the Milky Way galaxy like a beautiful fractal, colonizing, exploring, evolving, creating, eating, and they spread exponentially. Humans could now reproduce unchecked in all worlds and were encouraged to do so. Earth humans birthed the first exoplanet humans, and so they no longer referred to themselves as Earthlings, but Galaxians. It was several millennia before a signal was detected, and like a shot in the crowded room, the entire Milky Way at once went silent. Humans had long abandoned radio waves in favor of stabilized ERBs. Their network was vast, but silent to those who didn't know the pH keys. The signal they heard, though, was a consistent and persistent. Was this the lost colony of humans? Rogue religious sects were known to colonize moons and various other golden exoplanets. They were, after all, quite plentiful. But no, this was a different encoding, a different language. Nothing matched it from the ancient Earth archives. 
There it was, though, a signal, and with the combined listening post of the entire galaxy network spread across the entire Milky Way, it was also clear as a silver bell in an empty auditorium, and it was a strange language. Still, the humans decoded the message. They understood it, and they triangulated that position easily. The question, the first words we heard from non-humans was, Are we alone? They were like us, and they continued to broadcast information. Noisy, loud, incredibly so. It was as if they had all the energy in their system wrapped up in their communications efforts. But it originated from Andromeda, almost and unbelievably far away, and yet so tantalizingly close. Their signals were decoded, their language understood, their culture defined and catalogued. Were the humans ever this loud? It was almost impossible to imagine a time like that. It took a decade before humanity as a whole decided that the best course of action was to answer. And so they did. And not with a signal. They decided, but with a ship. They made a wormhole. It took the energy of 5,000 stars to make it a stable for a ship. But they pierced through the ever-moving veil of time and source of the signal, a star system near the nebula on the other reaches of Andromeda. We sent our fastest ship and a contingent of humanity's best. As one, the entire Milky Way received the signal beamed back through the ERP. Several trillion exabytes of data disseminating at a speed of light throughout the galactic ether fabric. A perfect transmission of a momentous occasion. The first humans to meet another sapient commander, Tygoth, and the first words to another sapient, delivered in perfect Andromedian, with an open, outstretched hand, was, uh, You are not alone. End of story. Story number two, A Capacity for Violence, written by Sad Trout. Humans, I love them, but they terrify me. It's not their armies or governments. Those are all held in such a tight leash that you know, more or less, when and why they go to war. If anything, it's weird how determined they are to make sure you know exactly why they have declared war. It's kind of beside the point, though. Here's why humans terrify me. You've probably heard about the attack on Luminal Ascendance Casino by the click-tack terrorist group Kiteness Supremacy. I was there with my mate. We were on vacation and, um, enjoying our accommodations in the hotel when the first bombs detonated. The panic was almost instantaneous and the crack of the kinetic women's fire didn't help. Instincts can be a son of a singularity in these kinds of attacks, and barely remembered enough of my militia training to not crawl into the darkest alcove that I could find. As it was, I had to drag my mate out from under the bed. My stress hormones must have been turned up to eleven by then, because I left marks on their arm that required stitches afterwards. We ran into the emergency lit hall, and I saw the first hint of human terror. One... Of the human guests wasn't running, but knocking on doors and directing the stunned occupants towards the emergency exit. He saw me and my mate and waved us in the same direction. I looked back as I reached the emergency stairs to see the human running down the hall with a pair of young kith in his arms. Their parents were nowhere to be seen. 
I held the door open just long enough for him to get through, but I saw a black bouncing object that stirred militia training scenarios in my memories, and slammed the door shut behind me just as the shockwave of the fragmentation grenade nearly rattled my teeth free from my head. There was nothing currently blocking our path, but uh, he looked down at the emergency stair before turning around, Kith Juvenile still in his arms, and charged up the stairs. Up! We have to go up! I heard him call, and my mate and I scrambled after him, not understanding why until the panic screams below us were joined with the snap of the hypersonic projectiles. Once on the roof, my mate and I paused to catch our breath. But the human only stopped to set down a waning juveniles and break off the loose bit of metal frame before heading back into the stairwell. I was about to join him in his apparent rush to glorious death, but he held his hand to stop me. Take care of those two kids. I've got friends down there waiting for me. This stabbed me out of my hormone-fueled haze. Of course, this human was probably military special forces or something that was a leave. How else, other than a thorough conditioning, could he be thinking so clearly in a life and death situation? So, I obeyed and stayed up on the roof, helping more survivors and keeping them away from the edges of the roof. I didn't think there'd be any more attackers that might be shooting up at anyone who peeked over the edge, but without the immediate threat, I was able to reason out that it was safer to be certain. I noticed several survivors were covered in green blood that couldn't be their own. Last I saw a pair of humans carrying up the human that had left me up onto the roof. His leg was apparently bleeding from a compound fracture below the knee, but he was conscious and still gripping his makeshift club, which was now covered in green ichor. He screamed as they finally set him down and called on the others to bar the door. I was one of the few that had enough mental coherence to respond, and we quickly had the door barricaded. It wouldn't stop a gunshot, but it would slow down anyone trying to get through. So they would be firing blind, at least. Once the task was completed, I turned to the trio of humans, who I now noticed also wielded bloody improvised weapons. One was a male and had apparently acquired a fire axe that he had put to good use and the female held out what I could only guess was a broken glass bottle that was completely obscured by gore. I noticed she was covered in red blood, but somehow not apparent wounds herself. The apparently unwounded pair were wrapping a belt around the leg of the human that I was currently mentally labeling Club, in lieu of a proper name. I later learned that this is called a tourniquet and involves cutting off blood flow to the limb. No, this is not terrifying. First aid varies wildly between species, and I've heard of stranger, necessary actions for trauma. We huddled up there for what seemed like hours, but couldn't have been more than a few minutes before the local authorities arrived. Right about then is when the banging on the barricade door started. We sorted out that it was a click tax attacking and slaughtering anyone and everyone that they could find. Not that the fact reassured anyone. Thus, the spurred individuals that judged that they could climb down started scaling the structure, even as the fire ladders were being raised. I hesitated, looking at the humans who had dragged Club to the edge of the roof before returning to either side of the door, waiting for the first son of a singularity to come through. Go! Axe commanded me. 
The snap of a kinetic slugs through the air rang out as the escape ladder was raised to our position, and Bottle and Axe urged me to help get people down. The barricade was coming loose, and once the door had creeped open far enough, Axe brought his weapon down on something that clattered in pain like a wrench in a jet turbine. And several shots cut through the wall just as Axe retreated. My mate was already on the way down, and I was helping the paramedic with club, and when the click-tack finally broke through, I saw Hacks and Bottle offer me only a nigh instantaneous glance before they charged into the oncoming anthropod terrorists. Bottle tackled one, driving it back into the others while simultaneously lodging her broken bottle into the soft spot on its neck. Axe brought his blade down in an overhead strike that split the cranium of another. Run! I heard Axe cry as the laid into the attack's more and taken aback by the proximity of a human threat rather than the reality of a fire axe and a broken bottle against mass accelerators. I finally flung myself onto the rescue ladder, and my last sight of a pair of Axe's torso being spattered by a burst of kinetic accelerator fire and click-tacks desperately pulling at Bottle, who was stabbing anything and everything, too deep in the midst of her enemies for them to risk shooting. Still, for all her fury, she did not survive being outnumbered with only an improvised weapon. Police marksmen covered the escape of those who were still lowering themselves onto the ladders, and several click-tacks came up to the edge of the roof once they had ensured that those two heroic humans were dead. Once I verified my mate was safe and relatively unharmed, I sought out Club and found him in the emergency triage camp. His wounds were apparently considered non-immediately life-threatening, and there were too few ambulances for the number of casualties. Thank you so much, I offered, knowing it was pitifully recompensed for what he had done. He nodded, and then asked me, Brick and Anna? I hesitated before answering, astonished by his ability to not even consider the situation outside his wounds. They, uh, did not make it. Son of a bitch, he muttered as he closed his eyes. What military were you with? I asked in turn. He turned to look at me blankly for a long moment before responding to my question with his own. Military? You three are military, right? I assumed. I trailed off, feeling strangely awkward considering that we had survived a mass murder. What? Heck no. We're software engineers here for SimCon, he stated, referring to the simulated intelligence convention that was being held at the casino. Well, Anna was a tech in the Navy, but it wasn't like she was a Marine or something. Oh was all that I could think to say. They saved us back then. They died so that we could escape. I hoped that he would be consoled knowing that his friends died well. Then he glared at me in a way that I could read the anger and sorrow in spite of any differences in body language between our species. Don't freaking tell me that. It was then that I realized that his friends dying so that he could live hurt him more than the fractured bone in his leg. He and his friends were regular civilians with no particular training. They had charged repeatedly into gunfire with no more than improvised weapons. Two fought knowing their certain deaths would only buy seconds for the rest of us. And the one that survived resented that he survived because his friends had died. That is why I love humans, but they terrify me. End of story. 
And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed. And if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below. But if you want to support this channel, there are links as well down below for you to help with. But the easiest way would be to share this video. And if you are so inclined, subscribe as well. I will see you all in the next episode. And I hope that you all have a fantastic time until then. Cheers.